politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, friends, patriots, and taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here on this new week, November 18th, Monday. And we are ready to roll because there is a lot going on here. And the day is short. Days are really short these days. My gosh, it gets dark so early. And it almost feels like, uh, you know, you got to close up shop at 4.30 when there's so much work left to be done. Um, But we're just getting started here. Okay, so here's the deal. I got a story for you. There was once a king that was really thankful to a couple of his subjects. I mean, they believe that, or the king believed that these guys saved his life. And he said, you know what? I am going to give you guys a chance to go into my treasury and pick out anything you want, anything you want for a period of 60 minutes. An hour in my treasury, you could gather and carry off anything you want. And these guys are elated. These guys are so happy. And on their way to the treasury, a group of guys come and say, we want to honor you with a banquet. You guys are awesome. You guys are the king's best men. Uh, we want to throw a pot party in your honor. And they go to that party and they have rock music and they get blasted and drunk like, you know, a bunch of uh, illegal aliens in a pub drinking tequila. And um, they just... Uh, they, they they black out. Two of them are just like thrown up on the floor. And one guy isn't quite drunk yet. Um, but he's staggering around, losing his bearings. And he's groping for the door of that treasury because he just remembered, wait a minute, the king gave me an hour to get out all the jewels. And um, as he finally grabs the door, the clock runs out. And his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to amass enough wealth to live his entire life uh, without worrying, without really working anymore, is suspended, is terminated, it's over with. Friends, that is the story of the Republican Party, the conservative movement, conservative talk radio, media, for the period of the Trump presidency, certainly the first two years, but the entire first term. And you know what? That will be the story of the second term if we don't successfully change the name of the game. I'm looking and taking stock at what is it that we have accomplished and what is it that the left has successfully accomplished on a state level, at a federal level, in the courts, even with Trump being president, much less if he wouldn't be president. And I'm watching as all of our friends are focused, you know, overload on impeachment, which will really continue every day this week. Everyone with their hot takes. And I'm thinking, does anyone realize as we're getting drunk on every soap opera every day with the clock running out on Trump's presidency? Do they realize what it is we can accomplish, what it is we're not accomplishing, what it is the left is simultaneously accomplishing while they and we 
are locked in this imbroglio over impeachment. And what the so-called right is downright helping the left accomplish during that period of time. Now, those of you hearing this analogy, this uh, story, this parable, along with my opening to the show, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. You know exactly how this embodies the failure of this movement that we've been trying to expose the last couple of years. How, you know, those debating Trump and Trump's personality, they're all missing the point. Trump is willing to do a lot for us if we ask for it, if we demand it, if we correct him in some places. But if you don't, it's all going to go to a waste. Except there's one catch here. My analogy is a little bit off because in my case, it was kind of no runs, no hits, no errors. I mean, you waste your time, you get drunk, you get distracted on stupidity. Well, you just missed your chance to amass wealth and benefit and you know pick up ground, gain stuff. The problem in the reality that you and I live in today in America that's becoming a socialist, cultural Marxist utopia is that so long as we are not moving forward, we're moving backwards. So long as we are not accomplishing for our side, the left is actually accomplishing for their side and the phony right is enabling it and downright actively helping them in many spheres on immigration, on crime, um, social issues, judicial supremacy, you name it. Fiscal issues, the debt. You look at everything going on and issues no longer matter to our side. But the problem is that as much as both sides are focused on impeachment and soap opera and responding to the response of the response on what this guy said on on social media, the left still does focus on issues. They focus very much on issues at a state level, at a federal level, um, all three branches of state and federal government on a daily basis. Hence, the asymmetric outcome on policy issues. What got me just thinking about this broadly was over the last couple of days, our side is just obsessed with Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. So she represents the Adirondack Mountains, uh, the northern part of, um, of New York State, large uh, geographical area. And she is a rhino from the pits of hell. I mean, she is literally one of the most liberal Republicans in Washington, and that's saying a lot because most of them are pretty doggone liberal. Um, she is not liberal by my standards. She is liberal by everyone's standards. So um, you could see here on our scoreboard, uh, conservative review scoreboard, she has a 24% liberty score rating. So a failing grade is like 60, right? That, that's pretty bad to get a Republican that's a 60, a 70. She is a 24. Put it this way, AOC whatever her name is, Ocasio-Cortez, on the, on the alt-left Democrat side, she has an eight. <laughs> Not much of a difference. But she is being lauded and now being praised by Trump. You can see here Trump uh, uh, praised her on, on Twitter, saying she's a rising star among Republicans because she had this one-minute video clip in one of the Intel hearing impeachment trials really taking and deconstructing um, taking apart the uh, a Ukrainian ambassador who is, uh, you know, trying to fuel the impeachment for the Democrats. And look, 
I, I don't mind praising a left-wing rhino or even a Democrat for one moment of good articulation, one moment of a, doing a good deed. You know, God always rewards even wicked people for individual good deeds they did. But the problem is there's no sense of proportion. It's like you could be the biggest hero on issues, but you're not like you don't have this great YouTube clip and no one in conservative media knows about you. Or you could be literally a rhino on every single issue. She is she voted for the Democrat amnesty bill. She voted to overturn Trump's border wall. She voted against the tax cuts. The, the one issue, the one remaining issue that unites every Republican, she voted against tax cuts in 2017, December 2017. There's not a single issue where she's a conservative, not one. But she had a good hot take at the hearing. We used to call this the Trey Gowdy syndrome. So if you remember when Trey Gowdy of South Carolina was a, uh, um, a judiciary subcommittee chairman. He was a high-ranking member in the House Judi Judiciary Committee when Republicans controlled the House. And he had this uh, shtick where he would put on during these hearings where he would grill Obama officials, Obama administration officials. And, you know, he, he designed it so that he could get these one, two-minute shock jock type of YouTube YouTube videos that would go viral on the on the internet and everyone was like Trey Gowdy and what happened was it was the funniest thing when we were trying to challenge John Boehner for the speakership and get someone who's committed to the Republican Party platform as a speaker so there was this one Tea Party organization that was fundraising and sending out a fundraising email oh donate to us and we're going to push Trey Gowdy as speaker and, and we were laughing our heads off because those of us who were in the know understood that he was John Boehner's lieutenant who was whipping against impeachment. And here these guys were saying he should be the speaker. Now, let me tell you something. Trey Gowdy looks like Jesse Helms compared to Elise Stefanik. She is possibly the most liberal Republican in Washington. Republican star. Nothing matters anymore. You could have a guy. See, here's the thing. You have the Democrats winning on every fiscal, social, and national security, border issue, crime, everything. They win. They win in the states. They win in the courts. Republicans enable them. But then inevitably, personalities have to clash. Well, you know, which liberal party gets control over the fiefdom, the red team or the blue team? So inevitably, you're going to clash over some sort of political issue. Not over, not over a policy issue. And, hey, this guy has a real great hot take, you know, taking out the Democrat on the issue. I mean, is this our future? Is this what we are relegated to forever? Where the Democrats win on the issues, Republicans enable them on the issues, but we'll start elevating the Republicans who um, often, by the way, are trying to use the one-minute video to deflect a Republican primary challenge and conservative media falls for it every time. Now, Stefanik is some random House member. But let me go to the next case, Senator Tom Tillis. Tom Tillis was K Street before K Street existed. Tom Tillis is an open borders pro. I mean, on the Judiciary Committee, he helped spearhead the um, First Step Act jailbreak bill. 
Politico, Trump's new best friend in North Carolina. Senator Tom Tillis is hugging Trump tightly as he faces the stiffest GOP primary campaign of the 2020 cycle. Senator Tom Tillis began the Trump era by negotiating with Democrats on immigration and co-authoring legislation to protect special counsel Robert Mueller. Okay? So not only was Tillis a leftist on the issue, he was actually bad on the conservative media reason of existing, you know, the whole Mueller thing. He was actually bad on that originally. He even briefly opposed President Trump's national emergency to build a border wall. But now, the North Carolina's independent streak is fading. He's deploying the president as a shield against the conservative primary challenger, and he's hugging Trump tightly. Take Trump's suggestion to investigate Joe Biden in a phone call with the Ukrainian president. Some GOP senators call it inappropriate, but not impeachable. Others, uh, 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 other at-risk incumbents have struggled with the query. Tillis sides firmly with Trump. Quote, would I have done it? I don't know because I'm not the president and I haven't been pursued relentlessly for three years. Trump, quote, deserves to be defended by Republicans that have a likely impeachment trial, Tillis added. It's a shrewd political strategy amid a well-funded primary challenge from Garland Tucker, conservative businessman who paints Tillis as an enemy of the Trump agenda. And of course, you know, um, Trump... Uh, Trump went and endorsed the guy. Said he's great on crime. I mean, it's the same thing with Stefanik. Stefanik opposed Trump at every step and has said a lot of negative things about him. So this is not even about, oh, we're going to support rhinos if they're very, um, you know, praiseworthy of Trump. If they're, if they're very, uh, you know, very much supportive of his persona. No, these people aren't. But we just live in the moment, live in the moment. That's all it is on this shallow-minded unicell organism losers that populate the conservative media and the so-called conservative movement. You want to praise her and say she had a good moment, fine. I'm not going to take that away from her. But there's no reason to make her into a star. Because what you do is you play into their hands and then that gives them capital to go and help the Democrats with every agenda item. Are we really going to support Tillis over Garland Tucker in the North Carolina primary after he was both a liberal and anti-Trump just because he's like, hey guys, I don't want a primary challenge. Please, I love Trump. Are we really going to fall for that? Are we that stupid? <sighs> this is a man, Tillis, who wouldn't support his own, you know, establishment Republican leadership when they had a Republican governor and state legislature when they were trying to push back against the transgender jihad in uh, putting men in females' bathrooms. He refused to back his own, uh, his own state Republican Party. So, um, there you go. We'll link to this article in the show notes. But this is what we've become. We're not gaining anything. We have a muddled, pathetic Republican Party. Look, we couldn't even win in Louisiana. We lost the Kentucky's governor's race. Louisiana already had a Democrat because of anomalous circumstances. Uh, the Republican running four years ago, uh, David Vitter, was damaged by a uh, you know um, infidelity scandal 
which hurt him. So this guy, Bell Edwards, was elected Democrat. The Republican lost. We couldn't even win in Louisiana. <laughs> I mean, it, I just don't understand 100% of the focus on impeachment at the expense of everything else. And now it's literally at the expense. In other words, if you have a rhino that's being hawkish against the Democrats in impeachment, but sucks on every other issue, they're now God. This case of Elise Stefanik and also with, with Tillis more than anything embodies the problems you and I are confronted with within this phony conservative movement today. That nothing matters except for the soap opera issue of that day. And again, it would be one thing if we're drunk focusing on the soap opera first, Mueller now impeachment, and get nothing passed. No runs, no hits, no errors. But that's not what's happening. What's happening is Democrats are winning on every single issue. Just look under the Trump presidency. What has happened? The immigration numbers. We had the worst illegal immigration ever. Finally, they got it under control. But still, I mean, we're at 45,000. That's high, uh, monthly apprehensions. That's higher than at any stage in, uh, under, under Trump's first year. We were down to 13, 15,000 in mid 2017, and we lost that. Deportation numbers are way down. Way down since uh, um, 2017, and down dramatically as compared to Obama's first term. You know, you have the article out today. Uh, Nate Madden will have it for us. Uh, USCIS, nearly 80,000 DACA recipients have arrest records. The report finds that of the nearly 889,000 applicants of the DACA program, 110,000 had arrest records. Of the more than 765,000 approved, almost 80,000 had arrest records. 67,000, roughly 67, 68,000 were arrested prior to their approval, meaning despite having on the records, 16,000 or so were arrested after their approval. The offenses um, uh, include 3,421 for battery, 3,308 for uh, assault. There's, you know, 1,471 for burglary, breaking and entering, 62 on rape, 15 for murder and almost 8,000 for larceny, 23,305 on DUIs. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Continuation of our discussion on Friday. Um, most of these people had their status renewed under Trump. Oh, Daniel, it was the courts. How do you allow the courts to do that? I mean, oh, Daniel, Trump's... Um, Winning the courts. Oh, so then, but then you're telling me the courts are, for three years, we had to approve all of this? Somehow the Democrats always find a way to win. It's happened under Trump. Again, the initial applications were under Obama, obviously, but most of these were, were renewed. This is what is just so doggone frustrating. I can't take this anymore. And then you get to sanctuary cities. 
sanctuary cities. And I want to kind of transpose, transition, you know, from this narrative we're talking about of Democrats winning on every issue while we're focused on stupidity. And we even elevate the stupid Republicans who focus on the, on the soap opera, even if they're screwing us in these very issues. To, let, let's have a discussion a little bit about the sanctuaries, what's going on here. This is a national emergency. This is undoing our, our federal republic. And there's no sense of urgency, even, even by Trump. He talks about it once in a while, but there's no sense of urgency to make this the issue of our time, which it has to be for political reasons, for um, obviously safety reasons, for sovereignty reasons, for civil society reasons, and really just for like systemically from our governmental, um, our government just unraveling as a nation. Under Trump, sanctuaries have doubled. Again, it's not that he supports it. It's, it's in a reaction to him. It's not directly his fault. I'm, I'm just trying to give you a measure. According to the Federation for American Immigration Reform, um, you know, you go back to 2000, there were just 11 sanctuary jurisdictions. Now there are 564, and that nearly doubled since the president took office. But those are almost all of the major population centers Almost all of the areas where you have the bulk of the illegal alien population are now engaging in literally neo-Confederate activities, saying, I will not recognize federal authority over the most uncontested powers of the federal government. That is a serious problem that's having devastating consequences of hundreds of thousands of murderers, rapists, drunk drivers, drug trafficking, gangs every day that we could easily avoid, easily prevent murders that could be prevented every day. I mean, and, and these are 80-20 issues. Just look at Ron DeSantis in Florida and the polling with Hispanic voters there on this issue, and they won't push it. They won't push it. Democrats are winning. You know, we think, oh, we blocked amnesty. It's not true. The states implemented amnesty and the federal courts implemented amnesty. Democrats always find a way to win. Even when we are in charge. The trajectory is always forward. And again, I'm not even just to take a little detour here. You know, before we get back to sanctuaries, look at the debt. The debt has grown 3.1 trillion. Since Trump, Trump took office. I haven't seen the latest spending numbers. Maybe I'll tabulate that for an article tomorrow. But if you look at the spending for the first um, almost three years of this administration and compare it to the spending of the first three years of the Obama administration that we thought was unconscionable, this is higher even adjusted for inflation. I know that because um, I tabulated it before, but I'll get you the latest numbers for tomorrow. And remember... At least, to be fair, Obama was dealing with the worst recession ever. Now we're in a, the best job period ever with 3.6% on, um, unemployment, and there's a lot of revenue coming in. Coming in. There's fewer people out, out of work. You know, 3.6% unemployment compared to 8 10% unemployment like you had in that era. This is pathetic under Republicans. Our Democrats controlled the House, Daniel. Yeah, but Republicans controlled all three for the first two years. 
And again, if we don't change anything, nothing is going to change for the second term. It will be every other scandal and soap opera. This will never end. And meanwhile, the Democrats will continue to tighten the screws through the courts, tighten the screws through the bureaucracies, tighten the screws through, um, uh, obviously, the states that they control, and tighten the screws even in Congress where Republicans are like Democrats. You look at what they accomplish on crime. I have so many more jailbreak stories to talk about if we have time. But anyway, we have an article out today with Oregon. An Oregon Supreme Court justice. Um, Megan Walters, I think was her name. I'll look this up in a minute here. She announced that I'm, I'm, she's the chief justice of the state Supreme Court. I am unilaterally barring ICE from entering the courts, the courthouses. They're not allowed to make arrests in state courthouses. Now, there's two important points to make. One political point, one policy point on immigration and public safety, and then another point about how backwards our system of government has become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and some of you might have seen me make this point on Twitter, but I just wanted to reiterate it. So basically, the sanctuary said, hey, look, immigration is not our job. How dare you ask us to hold people in the jails for you? Don't don't draft us into immigration enforcement. That's your job. That's a federal job. You're going to divert val valuable local resources that need to be addressing real public safety and criminal concerns. You know, don't draft us into this. So we're not allowing you access into the jails. All right. So I says, OK, so we will go to the courthouses because the courthouses are the last um, line of defense before they get released. Uh, that's usually where they uh, post bail and they are they're released. And indeed, Oregon has has done this recently um, where they let out a bunch of uh, child sex offenders uh, with ICE detainers and ICE went and grabbed them at the courthouses. Now they're saying, no, actually, you, the federal government, you're not allowed to enforce immigration law either. But remember, ICE is not asking anything of them, not even a detainer. They're just going to go and get them at the courthouses. And they're saying, you're not allowed to do that. So now a state evidently thinks it could tell the federal government you're not allowed to do what they themselves emphatically said is a federal power. It's, uh, it's Justice, Justice Martha Walters, by the way. So, and by the way, just the other thing here is, you know, it's funny. Now you have other countries' criminals being released back into the communities, and we now have to deal, deal with their recidivism. Their constant crimes that they continuously commit, guess what? What does that do? straining local law enforcement. See, the, their whole argument is, is bogus, doesn't make any sense, because if you're really worried about conserving resources, you should welcome ICE taking an entire segment of criminals off the streets. Because the whole problem is, especially with jailbreaking criminal justice reform, especially in a place like Oregon, American criminals don't serve a day in jail, and they're all out continuously being picked up by police doing other crimes. So this way, at least you get the illegal aliens out of here. And just to underscore this, this just happened in Washington state. 
Julio Cruz Valesquez, who was accused of um, shooting a father of five to death when he was sleeping in his own home on his couch, just happened last week in Seattle. Julio Cruz Valesquez. Well, who is this guy? He's an illegal alien from Mexico. Turns out, this man had at least 10 arrests with a rap sheet that included rape, domestic abuse, assault, burglary, drunk driving, and robbery. Again, barely served any time because of criminal justice reform and was never given over to ICE, defied a couple of detainers. This murder was 100% avoidable. Friends, you could win an election just on this issue. Jailbreak mixed with sanctuaries. And you can invoke the Confederacy. You know, they're always, you know, they want to use their stuff for civil rights. Here you throw it back on them. This is the Confederacy. I mean, you know, I'm a very strong supporter that the federal government has no right to get involved in local housing, um, education. You know, all that stuff is, is local. And we need more state rather than federal control. But we, we, li- we do live in a federal union, and there are certain defined powers of the federal government. And this is literally what James Madison meant when he talked about in Federalist 42, when he said that the federal power over naturalization solved, quote, a very serious embarrassment and defect. He was referring to the Articles of Confederation, whereby, quote, certain descriptions of aliens who had rendered themselves obnoxious, unquote, can force themselves on, on, on the other states that had, quote, acquired the character of citizens under the laws of another state. They didn't want states bringing in garbage to juice up their numbers. But speaking of federalism flipped on its head, upside down, inside out, I want you guys to think about this thought for a minute. Some of you might remember Kim Davis, the county clerk in Rowan County, Kentucky, that um, she was a county clerk and she issued marriage licenses. Two men walked in, I think it was two men, and said, we want a marriage license, we're getting married. Um, she said, well, I'm sorry, uh, you know, that, that, that's not a marriage. I mean, that, that, that's not a marriage. Our, I, I have to uphold state law. And state law and federal law, by the way, on the books at the time, said that marriage is only one man, one woman. And by the way, that law was um, affirmed by the people of Kentucky in, I believe, 2004 with 75% of the vote. Yet, she was thrown into jail by a federal judge. Now, remember, a federal judge didn't do it because a federal judge doesn't get off his bench and throw someone in jail. It was either the marshals or the state police. And, and that's a whole other discussion. They should not have done that. It's a separate branch of government. And well, we could talk about that at another time. We've, we've discussed that before. But I want you to remember, a, a state official who was following state law, she was following federal law, she was following a ballot initiative passed by 75% of the people, she was following, so now you're gonna tell me, oh, but Anthony Kennedy and Obergefell said you have to accept that as a marriage. In Windsor, just two years before Kennedy said that, Kennedy himself said the following. The states at the time of the adoption of the Constitution possessed full power over the subject of marriage and divorce. 
state law, federal law, the federal courts, including the author of Obergefell said, marriage is state, all state. Yet Kim Davis was thrown in jail. You mean to tell me that now a state official, mayor, governor, legislator, state judge could tell the federal government on immigration, which is national and international in scope, that is unambiguously within the province of federal power, that they could violate federal immigration law? If imprisonment was the proper response to Kim Davis, you better believe that is the proper response to Oregon Justice Martha Walters. She and anyone who follows her needs to be thrown in jail. And again, good for ICE. ICE kind of, you know, indicated that they're going to continue this and they're going to refer these people for prosecution. But DOJ needs to get involved. Justice needs to get involved. They need to bring down the marshals together with ICE and arrest these state officials while ICE arrests the illegal aliens. It's that simple. Where is the legislation? Not that we need legislation to deal with this, but messaging bills. Republicans can't even win in Kentucky and Louisiana now. They lost tremendous ground in a core Mississippi Republican County, DeSoto County, Memphis suburbs in uh, the election earlier this month. Where is the agenda? Having your hot take on impeachment will not win you this election. I'm not even talking now about accomplishing policy. God forbid. No, no one cares about that anymore. It's all about Daniel. We have to win the election. Well, why do we have to win the election if you're not going to accomplish policy? I don't know, but we have to win the election, right? Okay, so, so win the election. Run on something. Run on something. Which leads me to the final point today I want to get to. I'm not going to have time for jailbreak and we, we did a lot of that last week, and I'm going to get to that later this week with a special guest. But I want to talk a little bit more about sanctuaries, jailbreak, and drunk driving illegal aliens. So on Sunday, Elizabeth Warren tweeted out the commemoration of World Day of Remembrance for road traffic victims. And she was very emphatic about it, the need to stop traffic violence. Victims of traffic violence. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I actually agree with Elizabeth Warren. And I actually agree with the term traffic violence. Um, when you strap on or strap yourself into several thousand pounds of steel and you drive drunk or recklessly, I mean, you are a wild-eyed murderer. I mean, you are as violent as anyone else. And it really is a forgotten killer. About 11,000 um, Americans every year or people in America die to drunk driving. Um, God knows how many die because of reckless driving. God knows how many die. Maybe there are statistics on how many are injured. I don't have it in front of me. It's about 11,000 killed. And it's, it's just devastating. I mean, I mean, traffic or reckless driving. I, like I told you, I had a friend who was just killed in our neighborhood. Um by a reckless driver, wasn't a drunk driver, and it's, it's devastating because it cuts people down in the prime of their lives. Um, and unlike cancer or something like that, where there's at least some sort of a warning and uh, you could have some sort of emotional withdrawal, here it's just one second they're there, the next second they're gone. It's just devastating. So Elizabeth Warren 
is very concerned about traffic violence. And I got to thinking, imagine if President Trump and the Republican Party, assuming she is the nominee, would go and hang this around her necks. Elizabeth Warren is responsible for thousands upon thousands of completely preventable acts of traffic violence that result in death. Both because of jailbreak, but most prominently because of sanctuaries. You know, on Friday we did a show on two separate individuals, one in Pennsylvania, one in New York, who were killed last Sunday, the day before Veterans Day, on the same day one was a veteran, um, by illegal alien drunk drivers who could have been removed from this country. They were caught and had prior records. One had a DUI and fleeing from police, driving without a license, just three weeks before he killed um, one of the victims. Well, I found a third case, thanks to our audience here. And um, this was also that day. This was in uh, Smith, Smithfield, North, North Carolina. Basically, four people were traveling in a van, uh, a grandmother with her two grandchildren. It's uh, Marjorie Howell Wagner Regan with her two grandchildren, Haley and Stephen, as well as their family friend, Ethan Michael Hanley, who is 15 years old. And they were stopped at a red light when an illegal alien drunk driver, uh, this, this punk Felix Antonio Juarez Antunes, uh, who was driving 90 miles an hour, crashed in, or he was driving 115 miles an hour, slowed down to 90, rear-ended them, killed the grandmother, Regan, and uh, the boy, Ethan Michael Henley, uh, immediately um, injured Haley and Stephen Wagner, and Haley was seriously injured. And there is a, uh, a GoFundMe page that we'll, we'll put up here you could uh, contribute to if you, if you would like. Um, you know, again, devastating the medical expenses, the funerals for the, for the families. And this guy, to my knowledge, it appears he has some sort of a criminal record. I'm trying to, to vet that out. I haven't uh, finished this yet as of this recording. Here we have three separate incidents in three separate states, four dead Americans as a result of illegal alien drunk drivers. These are just the cases on one day that I happened to see from a few of you in the audience who sent me stories. God knows how many in every single day commit these crimes. Now, there's a lot of talk about what percentage of crime illegal aliens commit in different categories, and they commit a hell of a lot of crime. But when it comes to drunk driving, it is a cultural epidemic. It's funny, there's tons of academic studies from academia, all left wing. And they all start from the premise of that this is a tremendous problem in the Latino community. And, and some of them will even say, particularly among illegal aliens, which is obvious because of socioeconomic status. And, ex but except they won't focus on it, they'll play off of it to say we need more funding for programs or something. But, but in doing so, they admit it, they admit it's a very serious problem. Everyone knows this. It is one of the most of, it is one of the most underreported yet preventable epidemics in this country. It, Republicans need to make this an issue. I want to just 
review with you just a little bit here. So again, just in one year of apprehensions with very limited resources, ICE arrested a pool of aliens who together racked up 80,730 DUIs, not including over 76,000 other driving offenses. A, a 2010 report by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration found that Hispanics are, quote, less likely to believe that driving while intoxicated is a safety problem or that they will be caught in the act. The Department, uh, Texas Department of Transportation reported that 10,607 Latino drivers were involved in al alcohol-related crashes in 2009, and the nearly 200 that died represent 31% of all DWI driver fatalities in the state. In April 2010 Department of Transportation report addressing the problem of drunk driving among Hispanics noted, quote, Many in the Latino community have not absorbed the message that drinking and driving is dangerous. They report that, quote, research has shown that Latino adolescents are at a greater risk of driving after drinking and are nearly twice as likely to ride with drinking drivers than non-Latinos. Another report noted uh, from the National Highway uh, Traffic Safety Administration in 2002, and notice these are all old because they don't want to report on it now. I'm sure it's only gotten worse with especially more Central Americans. In 2002, a motor vehicle traffic crashes were the leading cause. Motor vehicle traffic crashes were the leading cause of death. Leading cause of death for Latinos aged 3 to 8, 11, 14, 11, and then 14 to 34, and then age 37. And then another report states that in 2009, quote, nearly one-third of those killed in alcohol-related crashes in Colorado were Hispanic. Now, it does have a large Hispanic population. At the time, um, they were 20% of the state in 2009. Uh, and they say nearly a third were Hispanic. Um, and they show all the rates there in these reports. The only demographic with a higher rate are Native Americans. And that's a whole other story that, that is a big problem. Um, and they are also purported to be more binge drinkers among them. According to a May 2006 NHTSA report, 42% of all Latino drivers that were found fatally injured in, in a car accident had a blood alcohol content level of over 0.08 as compared to 29% of whites and 31% of black drivers. One study by Romano, this is a very detailed study from 2006. It's one of the most comprehensive on Latinos and drunk driving. Found, quote, compared with permanent residents, undocumented drivers are more likely to binge drink, less likely to understand DUI laws, and less likely to perceive the risks associated with DUI um, factors. Uh, DUI, three factors largely associated with high DUI rates. And um, I could go on and on here. Maybe we'll do a little bit more tomorrow. There's a number of studies I want to share with you on this. They're all out there. No one talks about this, which is which is astounding. But this report is very interesting. They note one thing. They say that the absolute number of cases of illegal alien drunk driving is not as much as you would think in their mind, quote, partly due to their limited amount of driving, which, as we we well know, um, most of them still don't have driver's licenses. Some too many drive without licenses, but a lot don't. And they basically go on to note in this report that obviously, you know, they know that if they're caught driving, they're more likely to be caught and apprehended and 
get deported. So it's a deterrent to keeping them off the streets. Now, think about this. As crazy, disproportionate to their share of the population, the amount of drunk driving incidents that they are in, the amount of drunk driving fatalities, Americans killed every single day by illegal alien drunk drivers. If Elizabeth Warren got her way, every illegal alien would be shielded from deportation. Every illegal alien would have a driver's license. That means every illegal alien would be driving. Could you imagine how many people would get killed by them? And, and it's, it's straight up in these reports. They all admit it. Some even try to blame it on like, oh, you know, there's stress factors associated with being undocumented or immigrant stress factors. And they have all sorts of excuses for it, but they don't deny the premise, which is plain as day, that illegal aliens commit more drunk driving incidents than perhaps anyone other than Native Americans. And even then, it's mainly Latinos compared to Native Americans. If you had the subset of Latinos that are um, illegal aliens, I wonder if it would even rival Native Americans. And then we have jailbreak. Elizabeth Warren believes even high-level crimes are low-level. Certainly drunk driving is low-level crime to all of them. None of these people will serve a day in jail. They'll be released immediately. None of them are, are sentenced. Um, under their things, DUI is the ultimate low-level offense. They'll never serve time, no matter how many times they're caught doing it. It's a habitual crime. It's so dangerous. Elizabeth Warren supports traffic violence. That's the bottom line. I want you to go on Twitter and use the ha hashtag. Warren supports traffic violence. It's a little bit long, but Warren supports traffic violence. Democrats support not locking up or strong, strongly deterring and punishing American drunk drivers, and they support importing and harboring one of the most prone, one of the demographics globally, most prone to, to drunk driving in this country. How about that for a message from Trump and the Republican Party? But you know what? I got my latest impeachment hot take. I could vote for amnesty. I could vote for tax increases. I could vote for uh, judicial supremacism. I could vote for abortion. But you know what? I got my hot take on impeachment. I got my 60 seconds of fame on YouTube. That, my friends, is modern-day conservatism. That is the conservatism you and I need to fight and supplant with real traditional constitutional values. That is our challenge of our time. And tomorrow we'll be here at the same time, pushing the same agenda, maybe a couple different issues. Send me your cases. I think you've done a terrific job, some of you in the audience, informing me on cases I've missed. And uh, we will continue reporting on them to the extent we have time. Till tomorrow. God bless you all, and thanks for listening.